This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host here for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, along with my Instagram live. And uh, so anything you want to talk about, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're going to have some fun and maybe learn something. Maybe. Hope. Oh, hope we learn something. Anyway, you can get a hold of me, 877-385-8882. Once again, toll-free, 877-385-8882. You can also join me here live on Pet Life Radio. You just go on to Pet Life Radio and you click on Shows. And you can just join us here. There's a Zoom link left for you by Mark, our producer. And you can join me live here on Instagram. You're already live. Uh, just anything you want to talk, just type it in. You can request. I can go join, have you join the show, but I can't. It takes up the whole bottom screen, and I can't see all the people who have questions. But if there's anything specific you want to talk to me about, just send me a note, and I will call you after the show. However, today, I'm going to be a hard out at the half hour because I'm doing a live KTLA piece on interestingly and it's also one of the stories today about a huge rise in marijuana toxicity in pets because of probably careless owners i hope they're not doing it purposely but there have been a rash of since legalization in the different states many 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 more emergency visits by pet parents with their pets because of marijuana toxicity or they don't know <laughs> until they get there and then the doctor t- takes a look and says oh my god this is pot so uh anyway ktla there was a, a story that came out in the la times uh, this week. And uh, so KTLA picked it up and uh, they called me. We're going to do a little story on pot toxicity. So anything else you want to talk about, then uh, we can do that as well. So anyway, uh, as you know, I like to peruse the veterinary news. What's going on in the profession? So I will do so. And as I'm, I see you guys joining, please, if you have anything you want me to talk about specifically, anything going on with your own pets that you want to talk about, you can go ahead. When I lean over, I'm just waving hi back to everybody. Hi, Chris. So here we go. This is really, I, I took offense to this one. It says, not all dogs love to see their vet. Well, I think my patients love to see me. Maybe I'm wrong, but listen to the study. They say in a recent study, one of three, one out of every three dogs, 33% of dogs, right, were fearful enough that their average heart rate went, check this out, from a, a 97, which is pretty okay for a dog, to 180. That's insane. So basically, we think they're doing great. We think they love to see me. But this is really what's interesting. So when did the rate jump the highest? And when did it go the lowest? And this is what I found very interesting. And that is, it jumps the highest when the veterinarian pats the dog on the head. That's really weird. Or when they simulate giving a shot. They pick pick the skin. They prepare the needle. Dogs are so smart. They actually see the needle. They know right there. So it just blows my mind. And wait, this is really funny. When does the heart drop? When you lift up their lips and start checking out their teeth, their heart rate goes down. I would think that. I think the pat on the head would be the one that, ah, now they're, they're just here to say, hi, oh, my heart rate's going down. I'm relaxed. I can understand the shot. But the teeth, you opening your mouth and checking the teeth, you would think that would jump the heart rate. Instead, the heart rate came down. So I know. So now that you know, 
when you're a veterinarian, pats your dog on the head, and you say to yourself, oh my God, that's so nice. He must love my pet. <laughs> the dog may not think so, at least 33% of them. I think my patients are in that 66%. I think they get very relaxed when they come in. But uh, anyway, so Mama Sue, um, I'm curious about these dog foods my friends are using. We'll get to that in a minute. If you can just type me which foods they are, then we can talk about it. Okay, next up. Here's a good one. You know, it's sustainable. That's a big thing, right? And the environment, I get it. So check this out. There is sustainable dog treats made from insect flour. They actually grind up the insects into, I mean, super, super, uh, uh, you know, uh, fine, fine powder. And then that's exactly what happens. So listen to this. The company that makes this entered their treats into a competition and it was a competition called the Environmental Innovation Competition. And they took second place and won $10,000 for their idea. Now, I haven't tried the product yet. I don't know what it tastes like. I would not taste it anyway, but I don't know if my dogs would like it. But it might be interesting, something that we want to um, you know, check it out and see. So it's treats made with ground up insect flour. So that could be an interesting one. All right, my next story was about cannabis toxicity. We're going to save that because I'm going to say I'm doing that for my KTLA piece. Oh, this is related to toxicity cannabis. It's not a toxicity piece. However, I like this one. Now, you know, California lagged way behind, even though they legalized pot in 2016 for medical use, all right, and for recreational use, excuse me, that veterinarians still couldn't talk about it. We couldn't carry products with it. Okay, now that's changed a little bit to if the CBD is from 100% industrialized hemp, then we can actually sell and recommend the products. Well, here, a new bill, I'm going to read it to you, that a California bill would allow vets to discuss cannabis products with clients. The bill would require the state board to set the guidelines for veterinarians, require all animal cannabis products to be tested for safety and potency. And, and allow basically the animal cannabis products can be sold in regular licensed dispensaries. That is a huge jump. I mean, it, it, when you think about it, that's really cool because we've been battling this for so long. You know, when I think that there's so much out there, I'm just going to read you. And I, I picked this up when I was in Aspen, Colorado. I picked up this up at a pot store and it's pretty legit. And it breaks down the different types. There's THC, CBN, CBN, CBD, CBG. And it shows all the benefits of each one. Obviously, we just the only thing we can do for veterinarians and for our animals is CBD. We're going to talk about a lot about the THC with the piece I'm doing on KTLA. That is where the problem lies. But just to go through some of the benefits. Immunosuppressive for bad things. Okay. Neuroprotection. It reduces blood sugar. So it's anti-diabetic. This is all CBD. Antipsychotic anti-epileptic, reduces vomiting and nausea, antidepressant, antibacterial, relieves anxiety, relieves pain, inhibits cell growth in tumors and cancer cells, again, anti-inflammatory, promotes bone growth, and reduces the risk of artery blockage, which we don't really have that in pets. So there are a lot of benefits, and I have always been a proponent of CBD, and it's one of those things where, you know, it's like any medication, any drug, there's no guarantee that anything that we do is going to work for every dog. But we have found that there are a lot of benefits. And when people tell me, or is it okay if I use CBD, I absolutely go for it. Now, the problem is the dosing isn't really regulated or standardized yet. 
So the, the animal products out there have to be licensed. So I would just follow their, they know the strength of their product. They know how much should be given per a dog's body weight or dog size. And I would just follow their recommendations. I think it's important, but to know that it is not a bad thing. So I have both sisters on. Hi. So anyway, Bethany, uh, that's if you see 332 down there, Chumley, listen to this, hasn't, now Chumley had seizures. We linked the seizures to vomiting. When he would eat grass, he would vomit. When he would vomit, he'd have seizures. So of course, let's say, let's back off the grass. Put a basket muscle, don't let him eat grass because he's going to vomit. But she hasn't had him on CBD oil and he hasn't had a seizure since. And this is going back a number of years. So again, there are a lot of benefits and, you know, interesting, one of my colleagues who has been on the show before, she has her own show on Pet Life Radio, Dr. Justine Lee, who is a whiz. And um, so we have all done, sometimes we've done this point counterpoint together about pot and CBD. Now, because of her role as a board certified veterinary toxicologist and board certified emergency medicine critical care veterinarian, she has to be much more, I mean, she's representing those colleges and therefore has to be a lot more conservative than I am. So she takes the anti role and I take the pro role. But off camera, she will tell you that she is not, now we're talking just CBD here, not THC, because I'm with her when it comes to THC. But uh, with just CBD, if it's appropriate, if it's, you know, if it's safe and the potency is real and regulated, she's okay with it also. So it's one of those things where we just need more, more homework to determine whether or not it should be used. But we do know there are a lot, a lot of benefits. All right, next up. So this is also, this is a good story. Many of you may not like the idea and I don't blame you. However, for what we're working with, all right, you'll understand where I'm coming from. And that is this, there are a hundred plus breeders and about 150 more that are now trying to be licensed. There is a breeder certified, it's called canine care certified. It's a licensing for breeders. And basically because we, there's no way to evaluate these breeders. It's kind of like a good housekeeping seal of approval for breeders. Now I know, and I even wrote in my notes, adopt when you can. But for those of you who are looking for a particular breed, where do you go? How do you know? They'll tell you anything they want you, you want to hear on their websites. So how do you really know? So here's one other way that you can determine whether or not at least, not only is a breeder legit, but to be certified, it requires the breeders to meet certain strict standards of physical and psychological well-being. Also, animal, it's all for about dog's welfare and specifics about the genetic health. So they have to show in order to be certified that their dogs have low incidence of things like hip dysplasia or progressive retinal atrophy, like in golden retrievers or PRD, progressive retinal dystrophy. There are so many different things that you need to know and are inherent in certain breeds that you're looking for. The French Bulldog, for example, how is the soft palate? How is their breathing? How are their nares? So this certification will kind of look at those things and decide to um, certify these dog breeders. And so you know that if you are looking for a particular breed and you've gone to the shelters, you can't find what you're looking for, or you for some reason want a pure breed, you know, at least it gives you some, some opportunity to make sure you're getting a healthy one. Because one thing we've learned as breeds, we see, I've seen it in French Bulldogs, as breeds become more and more popular, their standards seem to become reduced. In other words, the breeders want to get them out so fast, they're paying less attention to let's breed the right dog to the right dog so we can get the right puppies. They're just breeding to breed so they can sell these things for a zillion dollars. So anyway, though I'm still a, a big fan of the uh, adoption, 
I think it's something to consider. All right, before we go to a break, I want to talk about some plant. Well, first of all, I'll do this one first. And then we're going to go, uh, when we come back, I want to talk about obese cats. All right. And I want to talk about some pretty plants, pretty plants that could be very, very dangerous for your pets. So don't go away. So before break, it is snake season. And two things happen this time of year. First of all, we see a lot more snakes. And secondly, because of the better weather that we see in most parts of the country, hopefully all of you are getting there. If those of you who aren't, will be getting there soon. And that is you're going to spend more time with your dogs outdoors. You're going to go on the hikes. You're going to go on the, the treks. You're going to go into the canyons. You're going to go into the mountains. Whatever it is, you need to be aware because snakes are out there. And rattlesnakes are one of them, the vet, one of the venomous snakes. We see a lot of them. There is a vaccine. It's a rattlesnake vaccine that I recommend for all of my patients that are doing a lot of hiking and going into these areas. However, understand one thing. This vaccine is not 100% protective. All right. It's not going to protect. It's not, don't think, oh, my dog had the vaccine. Somebody gets bitten. I don't have to worry about a thing. No, no, no. You still have to worry. What it does is it buys you time. You still need to know. And this is what I tell all my clients that like to go to these places, like to hike, like to go on the outdoor activities with their dogs. And that is this. No, first of all, get the vaccine. And then also you need to know not only the closest veterinary hospital or emergency facility, but to make sure they carry in stock antivenin. It's an antivenin. That is the injection that's going to actually combat the poisonous venom that these snakes are emitting when they bite the dog. So you want the antivenin, it's called. So you should call up. Now, where I am, I don't carry it, for example. Why? Because we don't have them in our area. I'm right in Westwood, and it would be too long to get to me anyway. And because of that, and I'm, you know, this is pure business also, that in the, the few times I would use it, it's very expensive, and it has a short shelf life. So for me to carry it for maybe, maybe one case a month, you know, it's cost prohibitive, really. So you want these emergency facilities and these hospitals that are near these areas, and they probably do carry it. So wherever you're going to be before you take off, make sure to call, go online, check out the nearby hospitals and ask them, do you carry the antivenin? If they do not, then find the closest one that does. And you really need to be prepared if you're going to go out, especially during this time of year. Anyway, when we come back, I want to talk about a couple things. I want to talk about fat cats and I want to talk about plants that look really pretty, but can be deadly. Don't go away. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live again with Dr. Jeff Orber. Here, your host, 
on Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And of course, also joining me are my Instagram followers. And I hope we, uh, you'll have some questions for me. And uh, that way we have more to talk about. I, you know, I can always talk, but if I, I like to talk about things that you want to talk about. Anyway, I saw this and I, you know, it sort of struck a nerve with me because we talk about this a lot. I see a lot of cases vomiting. And one of the cases I always ask, is it possible your dog got a hold of something, right? And, you know, if it's a young dog, or if you have small kids in the house, the answer is usually yes, they got a hold of something. Or do you go walking in, in weird places like in the mountains, like in the canyons? No, we don't. Now, how about your backyard? No, we usually watch them. There's nothing in our backyard. So I'm always asking. Or how about if it's a cat? First question I ask is the cat indoor or outdoor? Because outdoor cats will chew on a million things. And they go, no, it's indoor only. My next question do you have any plants? Because cats love to chew on plants. Dogs like to eat plants. I have in my yard, some, we have a, a fence that fences off a part of our backyard that is green and lush to our dog area, which is not. And yet some of the plants will grow through the slats in the fence, separating them. And I, I walk out there, they've eaten them. Or when I see vomitus and guess what's in there, the plants are there. Fortunately, they're, they're not poisonous. So I just want to run the list of some of the things that, that are potentially dangerous, even lethal. For example, a mouthful one azalea leaf may not do, but a mouthful of azalea leaves can be very toxic, especially to small dogs and even um, and even lethal. Here's one. A single seed from a palm called the palm, Sunday palm, can be deadly. It's almost like dogs that have that whatever it is that they are toxic to raisins and grapes. And fortunately, not many are, but those that are, that literally one grape could do it. I don't think it's common. In fact, I will tell you it's very rare, but it can happen. Look, I used to play with my dogs. We used to play catch with raisins. And um, so anyway, this is what I, you know, I, I always say that to be safe, don't feed your dog raisins or grapes. Uh, if they eat one, you know, call your veterinarian. See, I will tell you, emergency clinics will 100% say even with one grape, even if one may be grape, they're going to have you come in. What I recommend, what I typically do for my patients is I'll try to induce vomiting at home if it's within an hour or so, an hour and a half. Hopefully that'll, that'll help. I fortunately, personally have not had any of my patients that have had raisin grape toxicity. However, I have heard from colleagues and just obviously doing my research for the, these kinds of shows that it does happen. So I do believe it. I would, I highly recommend So even if you used to use it in the past with other dogs, this is a different dog. Now it may not be the same. So therefore avoid raisins and grapes. Anyway, other potentially not maybe lethal, but uh, plants and flowers that can make your pets very sick. Birds of paradise, daffodils, geraniums, hibiscus, tulips, aloe vera even. They're actually eating the plant itself. I write lilies here for one reason. Lilies and dogs can cause some gastric irritation. It can cause some you know, rashes, things like that. But one thing that they can be sick, but severe reactions, we call it, maybe not death. But I will tell you, lilies and cats, even if you have lilies in a vase, and you water the vase, and you have that bowl underneath, and so everything is kind of draining into the bowl. If cats drink that water from the bowl, then they too can potentially die. I mean, it is very, very serious. It's almost like having xylitol or any of those poisonous things that can affect the liver, the kidneys. Lilies and cats do not go hand in hand. So make sure to be very careful. If you have cats, I would recommend not having lilies in the house. Very simple. So uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about and I saw a story about obese cats. And one of the problems is that it is easier to manage an obese dog than it is an obese cat. And uh, for one thing, what do we typically tell people, all right, when it comes to obesity for their dogs, right? 
two things, two elements. Yes, you want to go ahead and you want to check them out to make sure that they're okay health-wise. Nothing wrong, you know, metabolically. But they still are going to potentially gain weight. So what do you do for a dog? Very simple. Two things, same thing we do. Cut back on the calories, increase the exercise. All right, pretty easy. Because who's in control of the food that we feed our dogs? We are. So what happens often is what, how do we feed our cats? Do cats have mealtime? Some do. Most, what do we do? We take the food, we stick it in the bowl, and they graze through the day. Well, if you have a, a lot of cats, as I do, I have five. Some like to graze, and some like to have mealtime and will polish the food away right away. So it's very hard when you have two, how to manage that. So you have to separate them for mealtime and make sure that they are not getting a hold of things, food they shouldn't be getting a hold of. But here's the hard part with cats. First of all, it's very sometimes tough to tell whether their cats are truly overweight. Why? Because that primordial pouch, when you look at a cat from the side and they got that jiggly thing, that's even thin cats could have that. And that's normal. So you have to look at other things. First of all, stand over your cat, okay? And look and see at the waist, does it kind of indent? So here it is. Let's say the width is here. And then as you're going back to the back, you kind of gets a little narrower. That's one good thing. Secondly, if you can lift up gently that primordial pouch, take your fingers and kind of lift it a little bit, does the rest of the abdomen also go up a little bit? So in other words, it's down here at the chest, but as you go back towards it, it comes up a little bit, of course, covered by that primordial pouch. So if also check and see if you can feel ribs when you pet them. Now you don't want to see ribs. Some cats you will, maybe in a sphinx, there's no hair, you might see some ribs, but you want to be able to pet them and feel ribs. Two of my cats, admittedly, really, well, one of them for sure, and that's Ponzu. Maybe I shouldn't have named him a food, but Ponzu is, is, uh, is overweight and he loves to eat. So I'm doing my best to kind of keep him away from the rest of the cats anytime. But the hard part is with a dog, what do you do? You put the leash on, you get him outside, go to the park, throw the tennis ball, get him to, you can even do force exercises at first because when they are heavy, they don't really want to exercise. The bigger they get, the less they want to do. The less they do, the bigger they get. It's, it's a no brainer. So we have to go ahead and we can get them to start moving around. How are you going to exercise a cat? I mean, when, when a cat doesn't want to do something, they're just not doing it. You have no control. So if you have a cat, because of their hunting instinct likes to chase things, you can get these little toys and get that, you know, the little feather on the that fishing hook kind of thing, the fishing pole, and you bounce it around and try to get them chasing. You get these little wind up mice. They look like little animals and you wind them up and put them around and they're going all over the place. That might help. Some cats like to fetch. You could take some, you know, even, even a toy or a little ball. Or I used to roll up for one of my cats, tinfoil into a ball, and he would literally chase it and bat it around. And it would bat it back to me and I would throw it again. But those are the rarities. Some cats love the laser light. And then all of a sudden, and I've, I've recommended this for years. If you have a cat that likes laser light and they need the exercise, start playing with the laser light. But then some study comes out, which I don't know if I like. I, 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 well, it's not a matter of liking it, whether I believe it. And that is that that will freak your cat out. That makes your cats nut, bonkers, wild nuts. Why? Because they can never catch it. You know, the whole idea of a cat going after something is at some point you want to give them something they can actually catch and that gets them to want to do it even more. I personally have not had the problem with that. And the, I, three of my five cats will go nuts trying to chase that light. I mean, sometimes I can be in the kitchen with, you know, wherever they are and a, a light will come through a window. It reflects off my watch. All of a sudden, one of my, cat, one of my cats is going nuts, jumping up on a wall. I'm going, oh my God, what did he, did he see a bug? Did he see a spider? What, what's going on? And I realized it was my watch, the reflection against the wall. They just love doing that. So if you have one such cat, that's what I'd recommend. 
But better yet, the best way to treat obesity in your cats is not to let them get obese in the first place. It does create problems. It is creates some heart disease. Increase, you know, cats get type 2 diabetes, and there's a definite scientific increase in type 2 diabetes in overweight cats over non-overweight cats. So that's something you just need to know. Of course, joint problems, increased incidence of cancer, very similar to the dogs, and uh, the heart disease we mentioned, respiratory problems. So the best way to prevent the obesity is don't let them get there in the first place. So if you have a cat, and you'll know early on when you get a new cat, is this one of those cats that wants to devour everything at once? Or is this a cat that is okay with pacing himself, and then you control accordingly? But if you know that every time you put food in that bowl, they're over at that bowl and polishing it off, you know this is not a cat that you can free feed. This is a cat that you have to give mealtime, make them controlled, and prevent the uh, obesity in the first place. All right. Anyway, I have about, uh, I got to call KTLA and um, get ready for my KTLA piece. Those of you in LA, if you want to watch KTLA Channel 5, we're going to talk about marijuana toxicity. And let's see, my thoughts on raw food for my go-go. We will get to that. And yeah, oh, at the end of the show, now the questions are coming. Anyway, thanks for joining me here. And um, I will get to you too uh, after my KTLA. And uh, for those of you here on Pet Life Radio, it's either going to be live next week or not at all. So I'll let you know as I uh, check my schedule. Anyway, thanks for joining me. Have a great week, everybody. And we may or may not see you next week, but for sure the week after that, I'll be here. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.